And thank you for joining us, Carpe GM Gamecast, Episode 1. I'm Dan. Brian. Steve. I'm Mac. And I'm Tyler. So, now that introductions are out of the way, uh, today's topic. Today's topic is the uh, tropes of various mediums and how to convey them in a tabletop role-playing game. The tropes of various mediums meaning you've got movies, literature, television, comics and graphic novels, video games and such, and how to give that feel to your players as a GM when you're running a game. If you want to run, say, a an Expendables movie, how would you go about doing that with the cinematic battles and the gun sh- and the gunfights and whatnot? In not necessarily system specific, but just tricks and tips that you would use in your storytelling to supply your players with the immersion that's needed to get that kind of a feel. Let's start with literature. Tyler, you start us off with this one. Literature, written works. How do you convey the the feeling of a written work in your tabletop RPGs? All right, let me just start off by saying that... Obviously, this- sorry, Tyler has actually never GM'd. So... We at this table are experienced I, th- I, I, I everybody but Tyler, I think. I am a very bad GM. Okay. <laughs> I'm the guy who's, he is a GM. I've become a DM over years just by being like everyone's been like, "All right, who's the DM?" I guess it's me. So I've just gained experience through that. Uh, so Tyler has never GM'd, but he's played in a few campaigns, and I'd like your take on this one. Literature. Let me just start by saying that there would never be an Expendables book. <laughs> so and if there were it would book. make a pretty sorry hey, campaign I don't think that it would translate I know you know for a fact that I'm on a snake ton of plane novelization so there, it's possible I would love to turn that into a campaign never having GM before the ultimate test yeah the Expendables how would you turn that the Expendables book into a campaign alright your guy is muscly yeah your, your guy has lots of muscles too and he's got a gun well, he's got a gun too alright you would I'd read the word explosion um, a thousand times. It's like the, the the scene from The Shining where it's like all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> yeah. But it's like explosion, 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 Kablam. story content. Explode. <laughs> I think it's important to note that the Expendables movie has like a three minute scene where they're just running, placing plastic explosives. <laughs> from nowhere, from their bags of holding that they have on their hips. They have, they have nothing. It's just them running between columns and blop, 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 blop. <laughs> Blop, then they run the other direction. Blop, 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 <laughs> blop, blop. Every truck, every doorway, every... Hey, nothing is safe. Nothing now is safe. Now <laughs> I'm hey. pretty sure the book version got that paragraph and a half out of it. <laughs> Probably. It's just blop, blop, blop for three pages. Right. <laughs> so, tossing out the idea of the Expendables book, um, I think that the literature is actually the hardest of all the mediums to turn into a campaign, at least from my perspective. Now... In a movie, in maybe a TV show or a video game or even a comic book, you see the character and you use descriptive words from what you're what you're actually seeing. Now, in literature, you have to visualize what you are creating. So you're saying you don't because you don't have the visual shorthand of having seen this scene in a movie or something like it. It's tougher for you to convey to your, to a player something in writing. Something that would be you would have to create it. Absolutely, absolutely. I I guess I could see that. I personally think that uh, literature, as far as the mediums that we're covering today, is the easiest. I disagree on that. The reason. (laughs) Well, think about it. Lord of the Rings, Gimli. Describe Gimli in 
a way where Tolkien didn't describe him. Describe him in a completely different, using just completely different descriptive words. But as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to. Tolkien described him perfectly, and that's why I say it's the easiest way to go about it. Because Do you just when borrow, you, copy, paste? No, you, you, I'm not saying you have to take uh, specific movies or specific books or specific settings, but uh, you, if you wanted to play a campaign in Middle-earth in any renaissance era campaign setting whatever if you wanted to uh, play a middle earth campaign i think it would be very easy and the reason i say literature is the easiest is because whenever you buy a new game system it's already in book form you're not translating anything other than the thoughts in your head to your players using the book that you bought with this game as the the guide to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I'm I don't think many of these things are very I don't think any of these are, things are really hard to translate into RPGs because my mind just kind of works like that. Whenever I see or read something, I almost immediately go to how can I make this into an RPG or how can I turn this into a game? Just because that's the way my mind works through all the gaming. Um, but in his defense, with that, especially on the topic of what we're talking about, Lord of the Rings here. If we were to play a Lord of the Rings RPG and you described to me, oh, it's a lush forest and the dwarf is looking very haggardy and he has an axe and he smells of ale. Like, yes, we get that. But now that we've all seen the Lord of the Rings movie, it's impossible to remove that image of what it looks like to in our heads. Okay. Not only does it do that, but it supplements and enhances the idea of what it is. The soundtrack by Howard Shore is playing in the back of your mind. The visual experience of seeing the Minds of Moria for the first time is like just a trope that you cannot take away, and it just enhances the experience of a game. And even if you were playing as another dwarf, say, you would just, in your mind, just envision maybe a variant of Gimli. Right. I from mean, have the movie. you seen the pictures John Reese Davis, yet? was it? Yeah, John Reese. Have you seen or, the pictures yeah. of The Hobbit yet? All the dwarves look like little versions of Gimli. I mean, like, it's almost impossible not to get that image out of your head like it, it enhances the, it's not a bad thing whatsoever it just enhances the experience and it's also hard to imagine scope from a n novel perspective before i saw the lord of the rings movies i kind of envisioned middle earth as smaller but they did a good job of conveying the scope and how just vast it is it seemed to go on for eternity and it was actually on the little continent of new england or new new zealand if i'm not yeah. I, and mistaken. also another thing is like it, with scope it's almost impossible to convey in just like almost all of the different games that you play or run they seem like oh this town is right next to that old town which is next to the dragon's lair which is next to the undead guy like it's really tough to convey and you scope. need like 20 minutes of them riding on horses you know with cinematic exactly. feel and music <laughs> well, in the background well travel time is a whole different yeah, podcast we walk yeah we exactly. that's a whole different walk. podcast <laughs> Now, while I can grant that visual mediums are a much more easy and effective communicator, they put more senses into play. And you can communicate more in a shorter period of time. Allows the mind to be a little bit lazier. I think that literature is essential in building the mind's eye that's going to be necessary in a lot of role-playing games. You're going I'll to be agree. sitting down at a table with sheets of paper, pencils, and dice in front of you. The only way that that's going to turn into any sort of real scenario is if you're able to produce that image in your head. Now, more particularly to GMs, thank you, more particularly to GMs, literature is an example of storytelling in its most refined form. It Absolutely. Is, 
some books can easily lean on uh, internal monologues, thought patterns of players. They can have much more defined character arcs and put characters in sub-roles that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in a role-playing game. And those are some of the limits of transposing literature into games. But when it comes down to framing dialogue, use of language, progression of a story, literature is essential to a GM. I, well, yeah. I agree with that too, and you, you touched on two of my, my specific points there. Number one for me is because tabletop RPGs are essentially collective storytelling where everybody's got a piece of the puzzle to tell as far as their backstory and what their character does, that's actually easier than, say, writing a book in a lot of cases because where the author of the book has to deal with everyone's specific mindset and the players don't, don't really factor in if you're writing a novel. If you're writing a story... And your players have to run their characters as a, the specific way that your story goes. Exactly. You're not you're not playing a game. You're writing a story. You need to write the novel and get it published. Which is, it's a really tough job as a DM because if you sit around and think of the story forever and like you're like, this is how I want this game to be. This is how I want the story to go. You're thinking more of an author's standpoint of like, I'm writing this story. I'm writing this. But in almost every game experience I've ever played, the players create the story as it goes so you can't almost think like an author all the good ones anyway right yeah <laughs> you can't think like Bunch an of brain author. dead zombies sitting around the table right you can't think like an author and the, the idea of and still have that idea of like this is my story i am telling this story i and because the game is an interactive yeah, you, multiplayer game you've got, got to be, you've got to be willing to kill your babies exactly uh, there's it, definitely a, a a group storytelling disadvantage that role-playing games have with respect to literature, but it makes it a more fun experience. Absolutely, because everybody's it, it take, ran- everybody's playing a part. Just everybody's like the literature, part. you you can take out of it, you can enrich your lore. It's very structured improv. Exactly. With literature, in comparison to some of these other mediums, I find that literature takes its time more. What you sacrifice in pacing versus, say, a movie or a TV show, which can explain or, or show you a lot of different things in just a couple of frames, you you have a slower pacing, but your focus on the narrative is greater and the interpersonal relationships of the characters involved. Attention to that detail is, is more defined because you're reading it and you're seeing it usually from a one perspective or I guess maybe multiple perspectives, but during that time when you're looking at it through any one perspective, the ideas and the concepts and the the motivations of whoever's perspective it is you're looking at are very clear usually. Now, the focusing on the narrative as far as literature is concerned. When you're dealing with a narrative, it could be a third person narrative. You know, the only concept that I could think of as far as a way to portray that in a game is if you were playing like a noir game. Where, you know, it was a dark night. Last night in the force. <laughs> yeah, the dame walks into my office and so on and so forth. Yeah, but as far as the third person narrative is concerned, <laughs> you as the GM, when you're describing a setting or a town or the inn or the throne room that you just walked into, you are that third person narrative. That's what you're doing there. Even though what you're saying has a direct impact to how your players react, that's the wild card of literature versus tabletop RPGs. You have to be prepared for your players to do anything. I would also say on the flip flip yeah, on the on the same side of that coin though is like if I say to you this I described to you, it's a throne room with a golden throne in the middle of a room. 
it's on a pedestal with a large area where people can come and address their problems to the king. If I say that to you, all of you guys now have a different idea of exactly what that looks like. That's definitely well, right. True. But the the other the, another way to think about that is if I say, "Hey, you're in a warehouse." Right. I imagine Everybody, a wooden warehouse with a bunch of boxes. You could think, "Oh, an airplane hangar exactly. or something." Everybody's got their own. I think my parents' garage. Yeah. Everybody's got their own visualization of what's going on. <laughs> now, if that is not a if the specific type of warehouse or where every individual crate is, if that is not important to your story, then let that stay in the player's imagination. You do not need to, where this is where I think literature falls short because it's all about describing the situation that you might be in where you might read a Robert Jordan novel and spend six pages learning every knot of the wood in the door you're about I to walk through. I was just thinking about that. That's absolutely a good point. You don't need to do that in an RPG. If you say you got a big wooden double door with a gold boss relief of a lion in it, Everybody's got their vision. If that door doesn't matter as far as what it's made of and how many knots are in it, now if a player asks you, hey, is it knotty pine? Is it oak? Is it mahogany? Then you got to come up with something. I mean, that's be the beauty of being a GM, and that's the difference between being a GM and being an author, is that an author has everything meticulously placed where they want it, when they want it, at the exact right time to further the plot. A GM is more reactionary. A GM has to react. All of a sudden... you got to be good on your if you if you've been the GM, you're like, oh, you know, you, you guys are walking down the street. There's a door with uh, a guy standing outside of it, or there's a guard standing outside of it. Okay, well, I talk to the guard. Okay, you go up and talk to the guard. Uh, what's your name? Uh, this was a no name, nobody, nothing character. James. Yeah, you got to come up with his name's Freddy, yeah. you know, or something like that. You got to come up with something really quick on the fly. This character now from initial contact you with didn't the. Write that. You didn't write that at all. From initial contact with the PCs, as far as this character is concerned, it's in their field now. Yeah. If they want to insult their mother and uh, start a fight My with this thing. Owns a very nice bakery. Absolutely. <laughs> if they want to insult his mother and start a big fight with this thing in the middle of the city, the story just took a crazy turn. It's like the Matrix. That you have <laughs> you have no idea where they're gonna go with it, and you have to be able to react to that. How are you gonna podcast? Authors don't, don't do a whole lot off. of reacting. I've I've often heard that the story writes itself. The characters take on a life of their a life of their own, and that the story kind of begins to develop when you're when you're writing the story. It begins to develop of its own accord. Uh, that's that's all in one mind. Absolutely, but that's only in one mind. You throw new agents at the table. All of a sudden, you're co-authoring this story with four, five, six, ten other people. You have no idea where it's going to go from where you begin. And the and also the thing like with that is like. As the players keep adding on, you have to, as a GM, like keep it as an author, though, in a sense of way, because at least one person at the table might be bored about what's going on. So that's not that's enrich that's less of a, being an author, and that's more of just being a good host. Yeah, making sure that everybody's in, involved. Nobody um, wants to be the baker, man. Nobody wants to just be making bread so, in the corner. <laughs> so the sacrifice of of the pacing, which books, you, how fast do you read a, a novel, a three hundred page novel? Well, you 300 page pretty fast. Pretty fast? What? Four really hours? Read 300 page. Oh, Four oh, hours? No, it takes. I read a couple maybe, hours every uh, for over, over a weekend, maybe. Yeah, a couple I, hours a day over a weekend. Okay, yeah, so I'll, six I'll, hours. Six hours for a 300 page novel. Let's see here. What you know, is an example? Uh, Hunger Games just came out in the theaters. I read those books in a day. <laughs> the, it's a quick read. Yeah. It's a very quick read. Yeah. But I'm saying the Hunger Games just came out in the theaters, and they're telling the same story using different tropes and different ways of getting getting through that 
And it took a whole lot less time because of the first-person narrative being sacrificed. You lose the first-person narrative, your pacing is a little bit slower, but you still get the point across, you're just using a different medium to do it. So that's where you're sacrificing from, say, movies or television if you're using literature as your basis for your game in that the pacing is a little bit slower, but that's all subjective at your game table. I would say that literature has to be the best thing to use to set up the lore and the feel of your world. That, and that's, that's why I said running an RPG based on a literary work is the easiest for me. Uh, because I easiest buy a piece to, of... Easiest to build, one of the harder ones to convey, I would say. It, it's just tough to get that same idea of the mind's eye in every one of the people. I can see that. If you sit down and you want to start a campaign, before you've ever... If you're going to GM before you've ever gotten your party together, if you sit down and start writing out the entire story that they're going to go through and you set up all your lore and you set up all the relevant factors as you see it, it doesn't matter how big and how complex your world is, your players are going to surprise you. Absolutely. Every Everything's time. going to go off the rails. Throw out this two pages I wrote about this dude out the window as soon as he attacks him. Just tear that up and twist, twist it out. All right. So literature, we've covered that one. Now let's go with... Um, Important to note, we're skipping poetry. I love, I love. Let's no, I, let's continue <laughs> skipping the poetry. <laughs> I want to make a campaign from Shel Silverstein. One of his books. Um, this is okay, where the road okay. End, maybe a haiku this is campaign. Where the road ends there in may, the campaign. There may be a future episode on poetry. <laughs> Doctor right. Seuss's borderline poetry. So the next. That's funny. I'd, I'd play a campaign in the Doctor Seuss world. So would I. I'm in. <laughs> You're not like Sam. I am. Or children's books. Don't. The more rhymes you make in a sentence whenever you play, the Here's the better your bonuses to attack. We might be onto something here. Yeah. All games, all it's like a game where all worlds of children's storybooks are all in the same world, and you got <laughs> all the different characters. You got Brother Bear. You got, <laughs> just turns into a bunch of white dudes freestyle rapping against each other. That's <laughs> hilarious. Fracked up version of the Doctor Seuss world, definitely. <laughs> Okay, so the next logical uh, medium to discuss for me is movies. We've kind of halfway discussed that inside literature. Um, in movies, I feel like you are sacrificing the, uh, the personal interaction, the interpersonal interaction with a lot of the characters. Uh, you lose some of that because you now see it in eye contact and with raised eyebrows and just in passing. Movies will put you know, specific uh, social triggers on film for a split second and because you see that in real life, you register it, you see it, and you move on. Whereas a book would need to spend a paragraph uh, explaining that interaction between the, the two people. It just naturally has to be condensed because it's over a course of two hours as opposed Absolutely. to 300 pages with um, how many words Six per page. Six hours, yeah, exactly. Eight, pot, eight point font, you know. So with that, you cover more story faster. I think with movies, you tend to see more altercations than you do in, say... And also in movies, you see many, many, many more unique ideas portrayed, like things that you can just like, oh my god, there's a movie about this. I think that's awesome. Like as we discussed earlier, I don't, The Predator, we can make that new game. Like I don't necessarily think that there are more innovative ideas in movies than there are in literature because I'm pretty sure that most movies start out of the script. I mean, and yes, but like once you see it on screen... Maybe. Once you see it on screen, you've got a visual... You've already got that shorthand. If somebody tells you that uh, you see a fireball from the red dragon bearing down on you, you can flash back to your time watching... Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire, <laughs> and you instantly have 
that shorthand of what that looks it's like. Not get started on Reign of Fire. Uh, and I like Reign of Fire. It's uh, awesome. Dragon Wars. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is awesome in that movie. He really is. <laughs> He's techno like. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> now, in movies, it seems to to me that most of the time the narrative is not going on at the same time the story is going on. The narrative for a movie is usually the vehicle that the writers use to get you from point A to point B. You know, five days later, here's what happened. So on and so forth. Whereas, again, it's just a more expedient version of, the, of a book. Yeah, how often do you see uh, three months later, uh, ellipse, dot, dot, dot? Exactly. Never. Never. Not very often. Every once in a while, you might just, you might just start forward. a new patch. Yeah, it yeah. just skips forward. But it's not like just you learn about all the mundane tasks they do in that time period, and maybe like it'll build a little bit of the story. Yeah, they'll Absolutely. give you two pages of what happened. There. Here's what happened in the last the six bakery, years. You know, yeah, hung out, as opposed to there. as right. opposed to while the narrator on a, in a movie is saying, "So it didn't go well. This is this is what happened. This is what happened." During that time, you're seeing flashes of snippets of something on the screen that allows you to get the shorthand of what happened since the last time the story was resumed. I have to say, though, there is an advantage, though, of seeing something on screen and how it visually enhances your ability to convey things in a role-playing game. I can agree with that. The four, first and foremost example I can think of is something that all players in RPGs love is combat. And combat conveyed in books or literature, while some authors can be very can be do a very good job at describing Conveying combat. Salvatore, yeah. Salvatore for life. is a very good example. But when you see it on screen, it is a completely different entity. It's and a completely different thing, but you also lose a lot of the intricacies when you see it on screen because it's so much faster. If you're reading, you brought up Salvatore. If you're reading a Salvatore novel, you know where Dritz's left elbow is at any given time in his description of this battle. And you don't see the parries, now, yeah. That like... may not necessarily be pertinent, but seeing someone do a backflip off of a wall on screen is much more impressive than reading, reading it on a book. He we're, did a black we're, flip. We're, yeah, looking exactly. at, we're looking at you, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Was that a drow joke? <laughs> yes, a black flip. Oh, that's not even right. So how does this all translate into video games? Well, well, as far as... Let's, let's go with the movies for just a moment. As, as far as a way to translate the feel and the expediency that you get from movies as a GM in your games... Using a cinematic concept for your game is a quick way to do that. Also, setting the scene well and using a lot of the shorthand that you see in the, in the big screen for descriptions as far as what you're seeing. The Expendables RPG that is based on the movie would be phenomenal and very easy to portray. You keep your combat fast. You apparently give them unlimited ammo in C4. Nobody dies. Uh, well, hey, people not, die. Uh, <laughs> nobody that matters die. And uh, you explain lots of explosions and and uh, let somebody shoot down a helicopter with a big gun. Ever since I started role playing game gaming, I've had this problem of, for instance, Dungeons and Dragons has a what is it a six second combat round? Yeah, yeah, that's a long round. That's isn't a it? long round. It's a long. And when long I go round. watch Gladiator, nothing takes six seconds not to do. Six seconds. I, t- seven people are dead. But I have had the benefit of great GMs like Brian, who are able to turn my one dice roll of me swinging a sword into six seconds of back and forth between me and the guy I'm standing in front absolutely, of. Absolutely. Uh, again, a GM's job. If you want to go for a cinematic feel, you can get there. You just got to do it. You've got to describe it. You have to describe it and put that in the player's head. If you're just saying, I rolled a six, I hit. All right, you take out ten hit points. 
and then you move on to the next round, you're not doing your job as the storyteller here. You are supposed to be setting that scene. And I don't want to say it's necessarily your specific job. The player can play a part in that, too. It's so tough as a GM to just get them to do that. Yeah, if you don't have players that can crack out of that shell. and It's not even that. It's just like some people are more reserved than others. And they want you as a DM to describe it to you. And it's tough for them, especially players that I have played with in the past. It's tough to get them to be like, well... Hey, dude, it's your job to tell me what's going on. Absolutely. Not my job. I roll the dice. I can understand that. And that comes down to your group dynamic of sitting at the table and, and what people expect from you and as a player and as a GM. I mean, are you here to read a book or are you here to play Sorry? You know? Or yeah, exactly. So we've got, uh, we've got movies. And these are everything we're talking about is just really broad strokes. This is episode one. We've got a long road to go before we uh, tackle all of these. Before we get there and back again, man. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> um, we the next, an unexpected journey. Yeah. The next logical, the next logical move to me. Oh, and as far as uh, as far as the order for me, I think uh, movies rank at number four for me as far as being able to uh, capture that medium in my gaming. So and the reason, reverse order. Mine is, mine, mine is like one or it, two, just well, because it's so, I'm a visual-based person. The reason the reason that is, that is uh, tougher for me is because I tend to be more on the political end of gaming and the, inter, the interpersonal interactions I of players. Yeah. I'm not saying I can't get into it. And my gaming group for the last couple of years has just been my kids. Little more tough for them to get out of their shell and yeah. get going. It's it's really kind of, but they do a fantastic job. We finished a campaign recently. It was absolutely amazing. But um, as far as movies are concerned, for me, out of the five, this one's number four for me. As far as how to make it feel like a movie and not like a book. The next logical move for me here is to talk about uh, television. I know you were you were hopping on the. Uh, the uh, video game wagon there, but I think television after movies is the next logical step for me. Yeah, it makes sense. So, for television, Steve, what do you what do you got there for television? Well, I think like what all we covered with you know movies, where it's easier to think up stuff uh, as a GM when I think about movies over literature because it's easier for me to visually link things so as okay. a G, as a gm whenever i whenever i come up with uh like a dungeon or just anything really you're that thinking I, about it as if you were playing through a movie yeah that, I, that anything that i think is significant enough that i need to really describe to the players it's a lot easier for me to just go to go to a movie and think of what that like, looked like what there. the visuals actually looked like as opposed to in a book where well, I read it. Like, I know everything that happened. I mean, they had to convey it to me, though. I mean, a movie is you just see it and you know. Now, now I see that this we differ here because for me, every campaign that I'm running, I'm running as if it were a book. Yeah. And that's just, I guess that's just the different styles there because I, while I do still draw from movies and whatnot, but I actually draw from the descriptions and the way people made me think of this specific item from books before using literary tricks with as far as adjectives and whatnot and different words uh, to describe things that might mean something different to somebody else, but I can still get the basic idea across. To me, it's like I'm reading someone a story whenever I'm GMing, not like I'm filming a movie, but it definitely has its place. You know, I'm one of those who read the Harry Potter books as the movies were coming out, and I had 
I read one before I ever saw one of the movies, and I had my image in my head of what I thought those characters looked like. And despite the fact that I went and saw the movies and saw an example of what they looked like, the casting decision, when I went back and read the others, I still had the picture in my head of what I thought they looked like. Absolutely. I read The Hunger Games. It was kind of a family thing. My, my fiance stumbled across it. She absolutely loved it. Made all the kids read it. I read the book. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But... I had heard discussions about the movie and the people that were playing the characters. And even though I hadn't seen the movie, I placed Woody Harrelson as Hamish in my mind when I was reading it because I have that, I have that shorthand. I'm in the I same placed boat, yeah. Donald Sutherland as President Snow because somebody had said Donald Sutherland is as President Snow and he's completely snow bearded. And so... I, I, those those that shorthand was there for me as well. And Ian McKellen is Gandalf forever. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I I have to say though, I will come back about, to this same uh, topic when we're talking about comic books. But while we're on television right now, I am absolutely in engulfed with the Game of Thrones universe right now. And watching that television show, I watched a few of the episodes first and was like, I love this so much. I need to read the books. I read the first book. It is impossible. To read those books and, and not, not see the, the show. Characters. The casting is brilliant. The casting is like it's just very, very, very well done. And I just I but the books were first, would, right? Oh yeah, I would have wondered what I would have thought the first time. I'm seeing concept art and some. I'm playing now the Game of Thrones uh, living card game, card game, and it is like seeing the pictures of them depicted before they had the casting choices. Are and like, they look alien oh, to you? Oh man, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> like, like, <yeah. laughs> I think uh, I think one thing that sort of helps me use movies more readily as like a source of inspiration is that it's almost easier for me to to like cheapen movies over books where I can like read a book and it, whatever it conveys to me however I visualize it that's fine if the author did a good job you know that's great but movies like it doesn't matter how good a job the director did like anything it could be awesome it could be an amazing movie but I can still sort of like cheapen it more than books. And when I say that, I mean, it's easier for me to, I guess, kind of like... Uh, steal from steal it. Steal from it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know? Nothing where, wrong with that. Where with books, it's like, well, that you know, it's it's still it's like open this. to, to yeah. your interpret to your interpretation. Yeah. Movies are just like, everyone saw the same thing, like visually, you know, and it, it's just easier for me to, to okay. take from them, you know. Now... We obviously movies and literature are two biggest uh, pools of of material for RPGs. I'm gonna stand behind television as being easier to portray a television show or a concept. Star Trek, Game of Thrones, Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's a, any, there's a million. You 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 take you take any television show. It's way 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 easier to make into a, a, a game, in my opinion, than it is the other things. Because of the fact that there is so much more lore and there's so much more content, and you don't just have to stop the movie when the credits go. The TV show can go on for seasons and seasons and seasons. And seasons. that's because that's because the the television shows are episodic, mm -hmm. and you can go absolutely. from point A to point B Which is a in a small, just like chapters. Absolutely, yeah. you can go from point A to point B in a small span of time, half hour, forty five minutes, hour. And that completes a small story arc. Usually, there may be a two or three episode story arc, but with two above that, <laughs> there's a there is a meta gaming arc that they're moving from point A to point Z, and they're stopping at C, D, E, F, and G on the way there. 
Um, There's a lot more going on. Now, while you can you you can absorb some lore as far as what's going on around you, and but you're absorbing that lore through following a specific group of characters or a specific setting, like a place, or you know the travelers that go through this specific end that this TV show might happen to be about. I don't want to sound like a Joss Whedon fanboy. Oh, but that that doesn't matter. Okay, go ahead. But I I'd like to bring up the point of Firefly uh, as even though it's a small run thing just because the fact that they're hour-long episodic things that you can just you feel the characters way more the, the depth. i am quite certain that joss whedon played traveler when he was young oh yeah I just, I just, you, you're not going to convince me any other way like there's just the the, the 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 feeling because of the episodic nature of television you are given the way more increase increase depth of character plot Direction, scope—you're just able to see more in, through the writing, through visually everything. Just t- like TV, just is like the perfect introduction. Into it is a really good introduction for a game. I'm not sure that television's always got better character arcs. With no, regards to comparing always, it, no. with regards to comparing it most easily to movies, movies you're going to get your you're going to get your broad strokes. Yeah. They, they have their fixed character arcs. They have beginnings and endings because there is only going to be the one. A lot of TV shows can, for instance, and and this translates perfectly into role playing games. They can put off the character arcs for a moment yep. to do like. Uh, for a, a Star bonus Trek episode, what they used to call a Wesley episode, you get an episode where it's about Wesley Crusher as opposed to anybody else. Right, nothing important is happening, and no one cares. Yeah, we can just skip that episode. But sometimes, or this, sometimes or the it's episode a good episode. That, the episode that takes place completely in the replicator. Right. Yeah. Right. Something or like the, or that. The, the, the hollow. The hollow. Is that what is not, it? The hollow. Uh, deck. Uh, yeah. The replicator. That that's what. That's what they ate out of. Right? How is that not an interesting idea for a session? Though? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it, the episodic nature of television shows, to overuse that word, it, it translates perfectly into the, the sessions. multiple session gaming of a campaign. Each episode's a session. That that flows really well with your group because you can set forth a goal for a specific uh, session. You want to steer the PCs toward this end, but you got a long way to get there. The episodic nature of a television show allows you to do that. I don't think there is a whole lot of work to do as a GM to translate the tropes of a television show into gaming. I think it's naturally there. However, I still put that as number three on my list. And the reason I said that is because while you can follow the small arcs from point A to point B, you always have the meta arc, and it's just naturally the way an RPG would go. The episodic nature of television lends itself more to the control of the players because with every session, somebody has a bad, somebody's in a bad mood, they kill, a, kill the innkeeper. Now, that can put the brakes on your episode, so to speak, so that you wind up... But that could be your Crusher episode. It could be your Crusher <laughs> episode, but you wanted this to be the... This was the uh, the episode where they were supposed to take the first step on their journey that was going to get them back on track from the last time they did something wacky. Now, I put television as the hardest to translate on my list, but it's possible that that's because I like my big epic storylines yeah. that, that don't wander around too much. And I run into the problem whenever I'm creating a campaign that... If it's hard for me to create a one or two shot campaign because I'm always like, well, what if they like these characters and they want to keep going? <laughs> and so then I got to come up with this meta arc that there I may never ever explore. But, the Sopranos. But I can't do that. <laughs> My mind won't let me. I got just enough ADD that before we play a one off, I know exactly what would happen 
over the course of 12 sessions with people that aren't in the gaming party to keep giving me fodder to keep giving them stories if they want to keep playing this game. It's probably a healthy ADD. I don't know about that. It's uh, you know, I can't tell <laughs> you how many times I've spent more time prepping for the session than we actually played the characters. It's doesn't that add depth? Times. It does add depth. What what it what it does do is it allows me to have all these little snippets of storylines and concepts and character arcs and stuff that if we didn't cover in the last campaign, I just reskin them and slap them in this new campaign, and all of a sudden I'm ready with. Ready with the next uh, the next one just off. Just running into the warehouse, getting all the old inventory. Exactly. That one in the, Dusting that one in the bank, taking that one out. Yeah, exactly. The only problem with the, that is I don't rely on it. Yeah. And I still do the massive game prep, the massive storyline construction, you know, and all this stuff. But I'm completely open with the characters, the PCs, destroying it. But that's the reason I'm open with that is because I know exactly what's going on with everybody in the world. So that I can still use something else or someone else to bring them back into my story that I want them to, that I want them to uh, to to go through. Now, if they do something that is a complete campaign ender, if they kill the princess that's supposed to be getting uh, kidnapped in two sessions, uh, I got to go back to the drawing board. However, I already know that the next town over has this den of thieves who's been doing this and doing that because. I got a little ADD whenever I whenever I build this stuff. I say another trope of television while we're on it though is when you think about the role playing experience of Dungeons and Dragons or any kind of tabletop RPG, you think the party of people, and that comes across. Think of think of your favorite TV shows. Most of them are yeah, that's your cast. A group of a cast, right? Whereas in a movie. Or a book, it could be about one person. Absolutely, it could be all about this guy's actions. You can have a or, you can have a show about one person. What yeah, was it? I mean, my name is Earl. Oh, yeah, but even that has a supporting cast. And even and that would not be a very fun game. for No, me. but I'm just saying, like most. Yeah, it's most there, TV shows and those have inter- a supporting cast, which is yo a director is coming up with a story, writing it, figuring out what's going on, and these actors are portraying this role just like as a DM and a player. And you also have the concept of not necessarily following a specific person or a specific group of people, but it could be a specific place or a specific thing that is followed through the storyline. Deep Space Nine had a a pretty serious cast, obviously, of of recurring people that were in 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 the TV show. But that TV show was about the space station and the things that happened on it. Rarely did they go anywhere else. Now, you could have taken a character out and put somebody else new in. The story would still go on about what's happening at the space station. It's a little bit of, of a Wild West town setting. They, yeah, they, they go out to, to, to places every once in a while, but it's never too far away. They always come back. The, the, the storylines that take place off are always relevant to what's going on on the station. It's... Definitely different from <laughs> for my Star Trek nerds. It's, if you've never checked out Deep Space Nine, definitely different from the other series. You should give it a try. The last thing I want to say about television is that it lends itself very well to the the gaming pacing, and I think that's a big difference between all of these specific tropes that we're dealing with. Is how do you pace the game and the game construction? to make it feel like whichever of these mediums you're trying to portray. I think that is kind of the key in a lot of these things. Now, there are a couple of exceptions. The, the exceptions to that rule for me are, number one, being video games. I think that video games are pretty much 
tabletop RPGs. Mac, what do you what do you think about that one there? I think that a, a lot of video games, several genres at least, the the adventure genre is largely a dungeon crawl. Absolutely. Uh, First-person shooters can almost be considered uh, drawn-up versions of combat systems Absolutely. in some games. And then there's plenty of RPG games in the world. Yeah. Um, if you grind an RPG game down to just a system of get under rules, the hood. Yeah, get under the hood and pull the numbers out. Rules and numbers to simulate events. All video games are inheriting from them. And you'd probably be hard-pressed to find uh, some software engineers out there making video games these days who either didn't play video games before that or didn't play RPG games before that. Oh, absolutely. And, and what, you, what you've got as far as uh, what I can, not what I can tell, what I know from video games is you've got the adventure, you've got the story arc, you've got the interpersonal relationships, you've got everything that you've got in an RPG. The one thing that you don't have, and this is where I kind of feel it, it brings the best of multiples of these genres, the one thing that you don't have is the GM trying to figure out what happens. Whenever you swing your sword in an RPG, that battle system is already there. It's instant. You know exactly what happens. There's no dice rolling. There's no subjective to the GM's uh, perception of what was happening. There's no bickering over rules. It just happens. So it's a streamlined RPG where we were talking about the other the other mediums being a little bit slower than RPGs or the way that they, not necessarily slower than RPGs, but slower ways of portraying a specific story or a specific action. The video game is the super fast way of doing this. Now you lose the storytelling options that uh, because you, you get with a GM who's able to interpret and adapt your own personal questions. And also the group of people sitting around creating their own story for their own characters. You lose that. Now I don't know if you touched on it or not, but there's also the, the idea that it's like it's on a railroad. Like you have no choice. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. Uh, you have to fight Bowser. You can't just go fight yeah. his brother. Yeah, or you like, cannot go back and just go back. I don't give a crap yeah. if he's in another castle or not. I'm leaving. Right. Like, After the fourth or fifth time, Toad probably would have been dead. Yeah, he's exactly. like, had I, I had my had I had my druthers, I would have chopped that little spotted hat off his head after the fourth. Yeah, that would be amazing. Toad in an Iron hat. Maiden, you open it up, you beat a boss, and then Toad's like in some sort of torture device. It'd be crazy. Now to pick a knit, there's a lot of movement in that direction. I'm pretty sure the new Mass Effect games these days have multiple endings deciding yeah. on how you want to play through. But it's a fixed. But number it's still yeah. They're preset. It, no matter how many possible fixed endings you have, they're still fixed endings. No matter how many possible fixed. Uh, specific uh, things you can say in any given scenario. If you wanted to tell the guy to go screw himself, if that's not an option, you can't do it. There's a, there are there are arguments that there are many different attempts at making that RPG feel like a tabletop RPG, like bringing up the old Baldur's Gates games for the PC, uh, like Neverwinter Nights, all of those kind of games. Like, see, they, I, now I played those games, and. I enjoyed playing like the the Baldur's Gate games and the Neverwinter Nights games, but they usually just ticked me off because if I'm playing this specific warrior or whatever and I have adopted because I'm a goofball RPG guy, I've adopted a persona for my warrior. If I don't have that option whenever they give me the three lines of text that I can say, I'm angry. Also, yeah. your warrior is one hat away from the looking exactly like my warrior. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And functioning almost exactly, exactly the exact same. same. Yeah, there's, what, nine spells you can do? Now, video games, they've also got their persistent world MMO things going on now where they keep giving players more and more control over the way the world goes. So maybe it's heading in a direction where it's just going to be 
a a tabletop role-playing game with more tools, but it's definitely not there yet, and you're missing out on something if you've never tried an RPG. That's what what drug me into the the tabletop, is that there are literally... Endless options. Endless options, exactly. Unlimited. There's no finite amount, and that possibility excites me. The fact that it could end in in an unimaginable way. See, now, for me, on my little list of things here, the, the list of difficulty, I've got video games as number one. I personally think video games and that feel are the easiest to portray in an RPG as long as the players don't expect you to be a random number-generating machine. If you accept that one fact, for me, it's essentially the exact same thing, but with player options. I would say the. I would also say, while we're talking about video games, that so many video games that I've played lately have, on top of what I see visually, and on top of what I'm reading, on top of the information of what I get, I'm doing it too. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm doing it, even if it's not to where an infinite amount of I can do anything I want, just like an RPG, I'm still doing it. And I would say uh, one that sticks out in my mind in the last recent years is the game called Dragon Age. That game, Yeah, they have their own RPG. I, I was just about to say that. <laughs> they, that game is got such an interesting world and lore and being able to explore it in the ways that you can while playing the game. It made me go, you know what? This would make a great a tabletop RPG. And Guess then I what? go to the game store, I see a book for it, and I'm like, my prayers have been answered. Like, <laughs> and that world that they've created is like a horizon for just endless possibilities. I mean, even within the finite scope of that game that has an ending or has five endings, that world is just painting something completely different. I'm going to have to bring on the same, almost on the same effect, uh, the Elder Scrolls universe. Absolutely. It's just like how many, how many times, like just playing, that's got to be pretty good damn close to the like closest thing to a role-playing experience like on, on a console or uh, like it skyrim skyrim yeah, skyrim, yeah. i have we're, we're sitting here looking at a map of skyrim <laughs> itself but like i'm just like not only is you can you do most of the things while playing skyrim or an elder Scrolls game but it gives you an just an explosion of ideas in your head of like, I would love to run this game. I would love to run like an idea of, I want to be in Tamriel. I want to run around and tell people, stop thief. And, you know, like I, I just, I want to, yeah, I, I want to be able to do that. Now, and, imagine if you could do that with six other people and not just feel like you're running around in your own little world. Exactly. It's almost like, it's like taking the best of both worlds of like it's an MMO like, with the storytelling of a Skyrim like game. And that's what you get in a tabletop experience. Absolutely. Now imagine one of them's trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they always are. <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. Now, for me, the, the, the last medium that we were going to talk about here today, it's a huge one. Uh, it's gotten bigger over the last decade or so. It's comic books and graphic novels. Oh, now, I put yes. both of those in there because they are two distinctly different things. But, and get ready for the gasps, I have that as the most difficult medium to translate into an RPG, unless you're playing a heroic, four-color, comic book-style RPG. It's pretty tough to convey those tropes and those concepts in, say, 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Or in, I'm not going to say GURPS or something like that, because those are universal systems. But in the other specific game systems, if they don't have supers and superpowers built into those game systems, it takes a lot of house ruling or a lot of hand-waving in order to portray a comic book character, say, as like the Avengers or 
Batman or something like that because they are on such a different power tier. I personally think that they are the toughest to convey unless, of course, you happen to be playing Wild Talents or GURP Supers or Savage World Supers or something like that, in which case it translates perfectly and they may be number one on my list in that case. Doesn't it become increasingly difficult to balance at that point as well? It, it, it obliterates game balance if the system is not set up for it. And that is a complete role-playing experience separate of its own. You have to have players who understand that you are larger-than-life characters in a not-larger-than-life world, and it's how do you play as those people with this power in a non-powered universe or like people around you are just normal. I would like to counterpoint on Dan's how can you make something like 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons into a comic book. Uh, before you leave here, I'll hand you a hardcover version of the first trade paperback of the 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons comic book that they're making right now. Nice. And it is amazing. It is like they, they portray every character so very well and to the point where you're like, this is a campaign. To the point where in the back of the book... The, the four or five combats that happen in the book, they have it statted out as an adventure for 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. That sounds great, but let me ask you this. If the adventuring party in the Dungeons & Dragons comic book happened to run across the Fantastic Four, who's going to win in a fight? I mean, that's totally up to the DM. No, it's Mo- not. Movie Fantastic Four or comic book Fantastic Four? <laughs> uh, either or. Are you telling me Dritz the Warden couldn't take down Mr. Fantastic? Uh, possibly. I think you could take down Eowyn Grifford, who plays Mr. Fantastic. I think you could take down all Fantastic Four. I, 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 it's all <laughs> it's all based on you know opinion and your own DMing experiences. But for myself, I am come from roots of comic books, and I am infatuated with the idea of role playing supers. I understand if you're trying to say that super powers are hard to convey Absolutely. in a non super universe where if you're like oh now we have superheroes in my medieval fantasy setting no no i'm not saying i can't do that the campaign that i was just speaking about finishing just recently was a campaign with the kids with my kids who were playing low-powered supers in a relatively low magic renaissance era medieval world now that went off beautifully but it took a lot of house ruling And it took a lot of hand-waving and a lot of restriction on my part. What does the magic shop actually carry? Is there a magic shop? How many wizards are in this town? What happens if somebody dies? Because if the PCs are to be special as supers, then everybody can't have these powers. You know, there's definitely an argument to be made that as player power level, player character power level keeps scaling up, the DM should just be scaling up, or DM or GM, sorry, should just be scaling up whatever they're opposing. But it starts to get to be so unwieldy. It, it becomes to keep up a cold war. So many rules get involved. Even if you're going to do Batman, who's a normal man with with a, with pretty high stats, but he's got a ton of equipment. Even if he doesn't have superpowers, yeah, and all the different equipment that the guy's got on his sheet, everything he got to keep up with, every situation he's going to use something or some other thing, and it gets too hard to play. Like Tyler said, it becomes a huge balance issue. Yeah. That's the biggest reason why I say, for me, comics and graphic novels. Now, graphic novels, not so much. They tend to follow a slightly different path. They, they, tell, they focus more on the storyline and, and so on and so forth. I'm um, not trying to play devil's advocate here, but no, I, please I, do. I have to disagree with almost everything you guys are saying uh, to, the, like, to the point where if you just look at the tropes, as if we were, ta- like we were talking about, it has the best of both worlds of 
literature and the visual medium of both video games, televisions, and, and movies, you not only are you reading what's going on, but you're seeing it as well. If you're looking at it and comparing it into television, it's episodic in nature is by issue form. Absolutely. If you're looking at it in movie form, there's gigantic visuals that leave nothing up to the mind's eye. If you're looking at literature form, you're looking at the way that it's being written to the point where you have everything described to you to the point where you know exactly what's going on. And the characters are so much larger than life that it's almost impossible for you not to become infatuated with what's going on. I read almost every comic I read thinking about, oh my god, I want to play the game of this, you know, like I want to run this. And the, the idea of teams, uh, like a group, of, like a party or a group of people, is core to the elements of a comic book or a graphic novel. I think the idea of having, making you special as opposed to everyone else around you is also another key element to role-playing games is that I'm different because of a character or a player. I'm different because I have these superpowers in, in this in this idea. I think that the, the balancing issues, the like, oh, we're too powerful, that's, yes, it falls on the responsible DM, responsibility of a DM to come up with a story that's good and keeps players intrigued and doesn't feel like I'm just rolling through everything, but also it's responsible... Responsibility falls upon the players to not abuse it and to create the cinematic story that you, the DM and you all are trying to convey. And I agree. And I, I think uh, whenever whenever I said all of those things, it is the best of all these worlds. You got the storyline. You've got the visuals. You've got everything that you were just talking about. The what we're specifically talking about here is the tropes of a larger than life four color comic is harder to portray in a system that is not built for larger-than-life four-color comics. I agree with you, absolutely. And that's what I was saying. Is That's what makes it, for me, the hardest. Because you have to go through and house rule different spells or whatever. And it's not impossible. I have done it. It's a lot of fun. But it's not easy. Now, if you happen start to be playing... The, but I, my argument is, is start off with the system like that. Right. That's what I'm saying. If you happen to be playing a Wild Talents or a GURP Supers or something, or the new Marvel RPG or something that's completely built and statted out and ready to go for superpower characters, then it's, for me, the easiest to portray. Is it perhaps reasonable to say that we can put uh, comic books at the hardest if just because you can't play them quite as easily as the others in every system? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So kind yeah. of like a but jack of all in its own trades. world, yeah. it's... Uh, in but when I think of RPGs, I think is almost every one of these as its own world. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, but what 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 we were specifically talking about here was a way to translate that feeling of whatever the medium is that we're talking about into an RPG. And I personally think that the hardest thing to do is to really effectively give you a four color larger than life comic in Dungeons and Dragons. Now you can do low powered supers, you can do a lot of hand waving, you can you can manipulate a lot of things. You can make it happen. Um, and you're right. Your characters do need to understand that your system is being played in a way that your house ruling they have to you have to put that out there immediately. You know, your characters need, your PCs need to know that. But I agree with a, a lot of what you said there uh, just with that one caveat. Yeah, I remember playing um, a Nightwing or I was playing as Nightwing in a supers campaign that Brian was running, and he was. It was under the Savage Worlds um, system. I was playing as Nightwing, who was Robin at one point. The, the 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 sidekick to Batman, and I felt like 
a god. Now, right. Now, now that's what I was going to say is I remember you talking about this specific campaign. You were playing with the core Savage Worlds rules in that, not yes. the super expansion, correct? Absolutely. Um, Which now, I later went and bought. Absolutely. <laughs> because you realized what we had talked about from minute one, that the power scale is so much heavier whenever you're trying to convey supers. I will say, though, that, I mean... That doesn't mean it wasn't fun. Was, I know. Oh, I had a blast. Uh, well, I'm just, that I, wing has never been cooler. Yeah, like, like, I <laughs> literally... Murdering everything you see is fun for a little while. There's definitely something to a campaign where you just win a lot. I will say it was a tough transition to... Dudes with guns were not really a threat to these guys. Absolutely. But the problem with it was is I really was not very experienced in the Savage Worlds world. So I didn't really know where the power level was supposed to be set at. So I just kind of was like, eh, this looks like Nightwing to me. And I threw it at him. And it was more like um, Thanos. Like, he was like, <laughs> just, like, yeah, it plays into the fact that it just takes more time to develop these supers worlds. Due to the balance and due if to they're the not designed. Also, for it to also, you take into effect it, the right. gang up rules and Savage Worlds. <laughs> if the seven dwarves come across you in the in the uh, in the woods, you're going to die because of the gang up, the gang up rules. They will just obliterate <laughs> you. I would like to say though, in almost any RPG, it's really bad in Fourth Edition. It's impossible to die. Like <laughs> you just you the, just, the game is so balanced that yeah. everyone is on evil gro- equal ground. I've I've. I've noticed that myself. It's, it's, it's bad in third edition. It's bad in fourth edition. It's Too much. Bad, it's bad in supers games. It's just incredibly hard to make your PCs feel like they're in danger. Fourth edition, second edition, third edition, Pathfinder, all that stuff is a topic for another episode. You know, I, it, with regards to being hard to die, there I can remember actually playing and trying to DM uh, the, the old DC Universe RPG where your characters actually wouldn't ever die. Yeah. If you if you were completely defeated, you you lost a plot point. You didn't save somebody, or you had to go two more scenes further in order to accomplish your goal, rather than one. And your character really wasn't intended to ever actually lose. Yeah. Um. I think we've beaten this dead horse. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. That's episode one. So, um, hope you enjoyed the conversation. And with that, we'll call this one done before uh, this dead horse rises up as a Revenant and comes back and kills us all. Hooray! Unless uh, you're a super. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not playing that power scheme. Nightwing, apparently. Thank you for joining us. This was uh, Carpe GM Episode 1. I'm Dan. I'm Brian. Steve. Mac. And I'm Tyler. And please remember to support your uh, local game store and good games. Carpe Diem Gamecast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative License version 3.0. For questions, comments, and other feedback, please feel free to email dan at carpegm.net or join our forum at carpegm.net slash forum. Thank you. Next time on the Carpe Diem Gamecast. Nice. Free parking. Give me the money. Uh, no. No, no that's no. a that's a house rule. House. No. no way. Yeah. Come on, man. Let's, you know, let me get the book. I don't, no, there's no, no book. Does you know, it's three pages give me, long. Give me the book, You man. know what? We're done. I'm never playing Monopoly with what? you again. This is... Co- Dude! Does anybody want my utilities? That only took four hours.